This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Ho Yu Wang and Gordon Lewis are long-time collaborators who have worked on several films together. They first formed Lewis and Ho Productions to make the film Secret Child, The Bridge in 2017. Uh, and that was based on Gordon's best-selling book, Secret Child, which went on to win many international awards. This led to even more film collaborations between the two, including Michael, yes. Dream of the Return and The Maverick, just to mention a few. And today on the show, both Yu Wang and Gordon are with me. They're going to share more about their careers, their collaboration and some of their current projects that they're working on. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? We are good. Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. So I think I need to mention that Lewis and Ho Productions uh, is based in the UK, but uh, you and you are Malaysian, are you not? Yes, I am. I left Malaysia in 1984 to pursue my tertiary education in Reading as a quantity surveyor. But- and look Come where a long it's way, yeah, from, yeah. <laughs> from that to filmmaking. Lovely. And, and for you, Gordon, I know you have, you have a very interesting story, actually, growing up in Ireland. Yeah, I mean, I had a single mother. We lived in an unusual community, 150 mothers, all single, of course, lots of children. And I ended up going to London at the age of nine, and everything obviously changed from there on because it was so different. And uh, I... I, I, I don't know what to say other than the fact that I had a great mother and I wanted to write her story, which is why The Secret Child came about when she passed on. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But okay, so again, let me go back to you, Yuang. So yeah. quantity surveying and yes. then filmmaking. And of yes. course, you know, the, the first <laughs> film that you made was based on Gordon's uh, best-selling book. book, right? Okay, how did the both of you actually come to first collaborate uh, uh, professionally? Um when Gordon said that he was going to write a book about his mother, um, it was kind of quite... Uh, the story's quite funny because Gordon always had secretaries. so And he's <laughs> dyslexic. So he couldn't write, really. I mean, I was saying, how are you going to spell? You've you got problem spelling. And you've never Ouch. used a computer. You haven't really written anything on paper. I said, how are you going to start this? He said, oh, first he thought, maybe I'll record it on a, you know, a, a something. And in the end, he says, no, I've got to bite the bullet, buy myself a computer and start using a computer. And this is good, what, seven years ago when he bought that computer and there he was typing with one finger on each, from oh, each bless. hand. Oh. And that's how he started. It's amazing to see how he started like that. And he, it went on. He just wrote and wrote and wrote. And, uh, and he wrote so much. And he asked for my help to kind of try to put this thing together you know, to some kind of a, a structure so that it becomes a book because it was just stories. All he was, it was like an outpouring of stories mm-hmm. that he remembers from the past. And, um, and as I read through all the stories, there were so many of it. It was very tough, you know, at first thinking, how am I going to structure this so that it, it reads as a book? Um, and then we took a, a trip to Ireland Gordon says he needs to go back to the place where it all started, where he he was brought up. And he said, I want to find that home, Regina Celli, that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I said, didn't you ever go back there? He says, never. I could never find it because he believes that it's kind of like tucked away in a corner of Dublin, North Dublin. And, and so we did. We went to Dublin 
and we looked for this place. And we had some help from uh, a counselor in, in, in Dublin, kind of locating this home, telling us where it is. And then that was when we walked up to this place, and then as if I had, I just kind of, the idea just came to me a little bit. And I said, okay. And then we went home. And over just one night, I just woke up and the idea was there. And I just wrote out the skeleton of a book, basically, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, putting all the points together, how how this would, you know, flow, flow mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And then Gordon, when he woke up, he, he, he looked at it and he says, yes. He says, I think it will work. So then he took the stories that he had already written and just placed them into the slots, basically. So it kind of and then became a book. So there you have it. And with that, we, yeah, uh, the book came, came about. Okay. But, but Gordon, of course, you know, it came from a very, very personal place. Uh, I mm. don't know how much you'd like to, to share with others. I've got, I've got no problems with talking about the past because, mm-hmm. first of all, you've got to think about the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother is influential in terms of how I am, who I am, what I stand for, and how passionate I am about when I'm going to do something, as Ewan says, I, I thought I've got to crack on and start writing this thing. I can't rely on a ghostwriter and a writer as such. So to cut a long story short, um, I just got on with it. That's the first thing. And secondly, uh, more than anything else, I, I, it was such a, an incredible experience because out of this book, I got an outrageous publishing deal. So in other words, everybody's got a book in them. They, they say that. And I had this outrageous book there. They wanted to do three books with me, mm-hmm. HarperCollins. Anyway, I only went with one book because I wasn't sure. And they were giving me all this money and I didn't have to pay it back if it didn't work. <laughs> so I didn't really care. But actually, I did care. I cared that I wanted to get the book done because I put so much work into it and it took longer than I expected. Uh, but the end result of all that was it spurred me on to, to do more. And with the royalty payments coming in, <laughs> I've got to say this because that's what happened. I said to you in one day, it wouldn't be great to make a short film. With all this money coming in from the book. And so Ewan, I'd always wanted to direct and I knew he was very creative. So we did this collaboration and the rest was history. Mm-hmm. 20 international film awards from Los Angeles to New York to, to Europe, you name it. We cleaned up well and that inspired Ewan to start making <laughs> more films. Okay. And I think, you know, just for anyone who, um, you know, is not quite sure what the book is about, do you want to just tell us briefly a little bit about what uh, the book is about? Simply, my mother, yeah. um, How do I say this? It was like homage to my mother, single mother. She was one of 150 women living in this special place on the north side of Dublin. It was unusual and different because Ireland's got an incredible history of baby homes where some really bad things happened. But this particular place was where a, a, a mother and a child could be together and we all lived in a sort of so-called normal life. The women went out to work. There was always a woman who would look after maybe 10 children. Um, it was very progressive. There's no other way to describe it. And that's all I knew until I went to live in, our, uh, in London simply because my mother had somebody who wanted to marry her. He wasn't my real father. And I met him. I tell the story. It's all about the relationship between my mother and Bill and me looking on and narrating their story. But at the same time, I'm obviously telling my story. And, 
I mean, the book reviews on Amazon say a lot. There's so many books. I mean, you just have to look at the Amazon reviews and you get a sense of what this book's really about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and for you, Ewan, you know, taking, mm-hmm. you know, this very personal story, right? And very formative story as well of Gordon's and making it into a film. I mm-hmm. mean, what was that process like? You know, how, what, what sort of influenced you or inspired you, uh, your filmmaking style for this film? All right. Um, this you know the book obviously i mean we 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 wouldn't do a short film so it was very hard to kind of like we have to first choose a section or a segment of the book that we can maybe give an indication of what the you know the book is about sure. or the story is about so so we chose this particular segment of the book uh, where where the mother tries to introduce Gordon, the little boy, to the potential father, new father, if you like, the man that was has always been in love with the mother, but because of the religious thing, you know, the Catholics and the Protestant, they were not allowed to marry right. and they didn't couldn't marry. And and then but later as they, you know, as uh, times went on a little bit, Bill did say to um Catherine, that come to London, will marry you. You can marry me here. Mm-hmm. So that was what she was going to do: take Gordon out of the home and go to London and marry this man. But it, the first, but at first, she thought she should introduce Bill to to Gordon. See, so this was the kind of we thought. Oh, this would be a nice one because it introduces almost an element of who is this man mm-hmm. that's going to come into this relationship between the mother and the son. So to kind of, you know, we had to kind of pick something that that stimulates enough interest that somebody will ask more questions than give more, uh, than, than just to give the, the answers, if you like, or the storyline completely. Mm-hmm. It's more about, oh, so oh, 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 this was that. And then they'll ask another question. Oh, did they really go to London? Or oh. did they really get together? You know, so... The the film was really to prompt more questions mm-hmm. rather than answers. So so we picked a particular moment where you know there were enough um, the the elements of uh, questions that might pop up. You know because how did you know you first and foremost you ask the question how did this woman end up in this situation, mm-hmm. you know, that that's one. You know, because she, when we introduce her, she was on her own with a child. So the question would be, where would she have gotten into, how did she get into this situation? And then when she realised she was getting in touch with this other man, Bill, and introducing him to the son, then they will question, who is this man? You know, so is it just a friend or has she known him? You know, so there's always the problems of questions. So in the short film, when I, I'm just taking, because I know the book, I know the entire storyline, I'm just taking a section, really a segment, and then hoping that it will be interesting enough as a, a little piece, but at the same time prompt more questions so that people would be, you know, more curious about what the storyline sh- would be or is about so that maybe you'll prompt them to read the book mm-hmm. you know okay. so that's the premise usually I, when I do a short film it's not really always about giving answers sometimes it's really more about prompting questions 
That's wonderful. And, and for you, Gordon, seeing that your book, your story, you know, being presented in in a film, you know, how mm. was that for you? <clears throat> I think the bit uh, where it really sort of touched me was we had to do an audition. We had a hundred uh, boys and we had to choose a boy to play me. And that was very memorable because... I'm trying to think what would the boy look like and how would he act. And we found an incredible young actor, Austin, Austin, Austin Taylor, and uh, he was fantastic. Uh, that was the moment where it really sort of hit home. Prior to that, I, I hadn't really thought about it as much as you might think. But when we saw Austin and how it came about, and then we had him then, the camera then is rolling and he's acting this fantastic role. He, he was great, and the awards say it all. Mm -hmm. All those film awards say everything about the film. Was your mother... I understand your mother has passed on already. Was she still alive when the film came out? Did no, she see the no, film? No, no, no. Uh, let did. me put it this way. I would never have written this book when she was if alive. she was alive. Okay. It would not be possible because I think she would be too embarrassed. Okay, all right. But what, you know, and I think, I'm sure for people who went through similar situations, it must have been very, you know, something for them, you know, very cathartic to see it out in film and also in the book. And like you said, the reviews say it also. Yeah, the reviews say tremendous amount. Yes. But I think, you know, the, the women of their time, you know, she was, grow, she grew up in a time where the, what she did was so considered so bad, like, you know, even though it wasn't really, yeah, yeah. but at that time, it was seen that to be something that so place, yeah. so terrible and that they they feel like they have sinned, you know. So, so for them, even though times have moved on, but their memories of that time hasn't really faded and they are still living with this sin in their head, you know. So they feel rather shame, even, even though they know that it's not. Yeah. It's not so bad, right? What they, you know, their life actually have moved on. But I think there's still a part of your mum, isn't it, Gordon, mm. that still feels yeah. that, oh, you know, if people really knew what happened, they might think worse of me. I so I think that's the feeling, I think. Well, let's put it this way. My mother never disclosed to anybody what really happened. I knew exactly what happened, and that's why I was able to tell the story. But she never wanted, from the day we arrived in London, and I was almost nine, she never wanted to talk about the past. And I think that summarizes, and this woman, my mother I'm talking about, is a very intelligent woman. And I think it summarizes what she'd gone through. Uh, but, you know, she's a very positive lady, and uh, she made the best of life. And she was very pleased to see that I succeeded, and that was a big deal for her. She wanted me to have a better life. Let's just go for a quick break, gentlemen. When we come back, let's talk about some of the other films that you've collaborated on and also some of the books that you've written. I'm speaking today to Ho Yu Wang. He's a filmmaker and Gordon Lewis. He's a producer, entrepreneur and an Irishman. He wanted me to say that. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about their collaborations and their uh, projects. We'll discuss more after this quick break. Keep it here on Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Gordon Lewis. He's a producer and entrepreneur. He's also an Irishman, as he wants me to tell our listeners. And also Ho Yu Wang, a filmmaker. They make up Lewis and Ho Productions, who have made several award-winning films. And uh, Gordon has written several award-winning books as well, uh, including Secret Child, which we were talking about earlier. But now let's talk about some of your other collaborations, right? So, okay, so obviously uh, Secret Child was the first big one. And then uh, there was Michael in 2020, uh, based on the true story of a seven year old boy who struggles with dyslexia i'm seeing some themes here um yes. <laughs> yeah you want to tell me a bit about that yeah i mean the second when we were kind of talking about doing a second film 
And uh, we were looking for a subject matter that we wanted the world to at least, we want to bring awareness to. So, and Gordon being dyslexic, and uh, so we thought, oh, maybe we should do this subject about dyslexia. Um, and that was the way we headed, and we pursued this this topic, trying to know more about it. Because even though Gordon is dyslexic, he never talked about it, never really stopped him, you know, being, you know, the way he is and how he went on to be successful. So it didn't really impact his life in such a, in a way that uh, he kind of, you know, moans or talk about. He, he has never really brought it up. It's not until the, you know, we've done Secret Child and all that, that he actually kind of come to terms that actually, yes, I am dyslexic. I just never talk about it, you yeah. know. And and he knew that uh, it did kind of interfere with his early education, you know, because when he went to London at the age of nine, he, he really, he didn't, he couldn't read. He couldn't, he didn't know anything. He mm-hmm. really... You know, it really impeded his his uh, his his education, and so we set about looking at how we should approach this uh, subject. And then, as I learned about it and and researched, dyslexia is huge. I mean, it's a very big subject, and it can be, you know, some people suffer from it greatly, and some only a little bit. And also, they have different kinds of dyslexia because some are more to do with, you know, they have color issues, they have, you know, numbers or even uh, mostly alphabets. But even with the alphabets, it's not the same with two kids. You know, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm, they, yeah. they may have different kind of dyslexia. So as we kind of went on like this, I found I said, oh, it's not going to be easy to tell what dyslexia really is. And besides, I. I don't want to be like a lecturer or somebody and telling, you know, the facts of dyslexia. So I said, no, I want to do it where I want to evoke the emotions so that people will be, you know, want to know about dyslexia. So they will find out about it, you know, just to prompt them to know that, hey, dyslexia exists out there Mm -hmm. and it's a real problem for, for kids. And it becomes a worse problem if we don't teach them how to get over this problem and then they will become a social problem yeah you know um so and then we met pat jones who was the the kind of the uh, the lady in the, the film who was a real person who we happened to meet and she inspired me to tell her story mm-hmm. and and that's how we kind of made michael Michael spelled M-I-C-A-L. Because. Is, yeah, that's how a <laughs> dyslexic child would spell Michael. Yeah. Okay. Because I asked you, right? The pronunciation yeah, I was yeah. like, Michael? Exactly. Michael? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I see. I think the beautiful thing about Michael is the fact that, you know, we put these films onto YouTube as well. And YouTube alone, we've got over two and a half million views. Every day it goes up. And you ought to see what people write. My, my mother was dyslexic. Oh, my father was dyslexic. My brother was dyslexic. Yeah. And you see how it, it can be quite upsetting to see how people have to deal with this. But the story was great because it widened up the audience. Because this is a global problem. Yeah. Some countries are much more developed about dyslexia than others. You know, somewhere like the United Kingdom, they, they've got teachers in there and they're trying to have one dyslexic teacher in every school, which is our pitch. And we were trying to emphasize that. Whenever we talk to people, we say, like here in Malaysia, very important. I don't know whether the teachers all realize, you know, 
you know, a lot of children, the percentage is high. One in five struggle with either spelling or reading. This is more common than people realize. So bringing a dyslexic teacher on board into the school makes a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even teachers who are able to identify that, you know, the child is not you know, acting up because they're hyperactive or whatever, they're actually struggling because I, I, well, you know, this was the case with my husband, for example, mm. oh. you know, they just thought he was a hyperactive, naughty child. Actually, mm-hmm. he was dyslexic, mm. yes. you know, and it took one teacher to recognize Correct. that. And then because they the act right up, uh, you yeah. know, it's almost like a cry for help, but people don't know, you yeah. know, so they think that the child is just being naughty or being disruptive, but, uh, but there's a reason why they're that. Not always it's just that, oh, their nature is like, they no, mm. sometimes it's brought on by other things. And yeah. um, I'll go one step further than that. I would say what we're really taken back by, half the prison population in the world are dyslexic. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Why is half the prison population in the world dyslexic? That's because they're frustrated, they're upset, and it's like, they, you know... They're usually they, the fallout they of the, society. They're the, they're the ones who fall down. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, that says, that says a lot about the system and... Mm. Something needs to be addressed. Right. So anyway, that was another reason why that was an add-on. Yeah, you know, we, you know, we we as I was uh, researching all this. Yes, it's great to to encourage kids to say to them, oh. Dyslexia shouldn't be the reason to bring you down. You can make it. Just like Gordon was an example, so was Einstein is a dyslexic. Um, you know, Richard Branson. Also, many great people have had wonderful lives, even though they're dyslexic. But these these are the I would call them kind of fortunate and uh, you know lucky that they had other things that make them come out of this. If they are not quite Einstein and if they are dyslexic. Chances are there will be the fallouts. They will either be disruptive by the age when they are teenagers, and then later they will become, you know, the baddies in society because they've got nothing else to go to. They don't, no chance of getting a job. So they end up in bad company, or, and then they end up being criminals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it does. People, we don't want to just say, oh, yeah, kind of encourage and say, yes, dyslexia, you can do, you can do, you can do. But you also need to actually emphasize that if people need to nip this problem for kids when they're very young, once we nip this problem of dyslexia, you know, when they are about five to eight years old, the problem will be solved because you know, they won't have that teenage problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they will immediately, they will pick up this stuff and then they can learn. They can actually learn. Once they understand, you know, dyslexia is something that you can actually make them actually see something. I mean, it, it was wonderful speaking to Michael, the Michael um, that we made the film about. He said, it, you know, when, when it was explained to him about dyslexia and then he was taught in a different way, he said it was... Amazing. He suddenly is as if the clouds just cleared and he could see and he could read. He says, it's like amazing. You know, he said it was such a wonderful moment. He said, it's just like a click. And it just went. He said, and I'm like almost normal child. I can do the things, you know, that other child could do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so and of course again another award winning film and it is available to stream on uh, what was it Amazon Prime uh, video is that right? Yeah I mean it's on YouTube it's on Amazon but if anybody wants to see the films they can always just drop me an email and I'll forward them on I do this every week anyway because we get lots of emails in so okay. it's no big deal we can just forward it on mm-hmm. and I think it's wonderful you know if schools see it if teachers see it you know it's really um, yeah something to spark that right so just mm. to make to make you think about it like about children who maybe are struggling silently right not yes. understanding that they actually have a problem. Yes. I just want to quickly move on to another one of the other films that um, also another award-winning one, and this is Dream of the Return. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and that again, you know, um, made by you, uh, directed by you, Yuang, and uh, produced by you, Gordon. It's a story about an elderly Chinese woman who struggles with loneliness and loss. Mm. You want to tell me why you know you took that on? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a tough one because that one was like done during the just and, as we were entering the pandemic you know there was that moment and I didn't you know I didn't plan it as such I mean, it was plan- we were talking about doing it before we had COVID but then when we were about to do it COVID happened so uh, we got a little delayed but it made the film actually more meaningful because I think during COVID I think a lot of people suffered this loneliness thing because we were forced to be alone, a lot of us, you know, who are not uh, in a, a scenario where they can be with a family or a companion, they they do feel like, and suddenly it's as if they've been cut off from the world, and and this film became more poignant uh, as we were making it, and but originally it wasn't really because I, you know I can't say that it was really COVID that pushed me into this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea really came from this lady who went through uh, her life where she was very happy in the marriage and when suddenly her husband uh, had dementia and and it really, you know, she, she her life almost like changed over a period of two years, I would say, and she just felt very lonely because she used to do all these things with her husband and everything and then suddenly she even though she had lots of friends but somehow when somebody so close to you just goes out of your life and I think you know she may appear like she's all right, but inside, you know, she was lonely. And I knew it because I've known uh, Ginny for a very long time. So I kind of know her story and I knew her husband, Lawrence, for a very long time too. You know, I knew them as a couple. You know, actually, when I was another part of my life where I I, I did a bit of dance and I went to class and I met Ginny there. And so, you know, this was over 35 years ago, about, yeah, over 35 years ago. So when when Lawrence went and I could see, you know, I could feel really that Ginny doesn't say very much. She doesn't express her feelings so well. And um, the last thing she would do is to go to a friend and confide or open up her feelings. So I just wanted to do a, a film in homage of them, but also uh, to kind of show that there's a lot of people out there who are suffering in this quiet. You know, they don't talk about it. They just get on with life. They don't appear to be lonely sometimes, but they are lonely. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 
I thought I'll do a film on that. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a pandemic on its own, isn't it? Yes. Loneliness, especially yeah. in the but, but it has a lovely ending. I, I don't, uh, obviously, the subject matter is quite sad. It, it is sad, but the film has a lovely ending. Um, so if you can imagine people yeah. coming together, I'm talking about people who are of over the age of 65. Most of them are over the age of 70. And it's, it's entertainment. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So when okay. you see it, you yeah, see what... I do yeah. want to give a little bit of hope. I mean, all my films that I've done, I don't, I don't end on a very kind of sad note. I don't like that. I kind of want to give some hope, you know. Whatever it is, it, it has to have some hope. It may bring out the, the not-so-nice things, but uh, at the end, I hope that people will get some glimmer of hope that, oh, yes, there, there, there's a chance for me too to... to get out of this because I don't want somebody to watch this and then probably slit their, <laughs> their wrists, you know. So I don't want that. I want them to... Uh, the, the point is actually, it's about hope, you know. As much as I emphasize the, the sadness, but at the, at the end of the day, I want people who watch it to, to sense that there is hope. There's plenty of hope out there. Uh, and we ought to take that season mm-hmm. you know don't don't let this loneliness just overwhelm and drown us mm-hmm. you know and has the film been also on the on making the circuits around you know for like a film yeah, a film festival it's had a total of 8 international awards from korea to to new york Wonderful. from new york to brazil so there you are okay. it's 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 great when you see these things happen it's quite experimental because this film you know it, it has no no, we nobody speaks. It's driven very much by visuals, driven by Movement, the, the right? movements. Because I wanted to bring dance into this. This because I know Ginny loves dance, and so I brought in this element of dance. And the dance is, you know, I find it because it's an expression, and that's the only time in the film that every time you see her dance, she's expressing. Mm. But when you see her when in real life. When she's not dancing in the film, that's her state in reality. But when she dances, you actually see her her agonizing moments, moments when she's screaming because she's so frustrated. She wants to, you know, she all the things that she couldn't do in reality, but in dance, she shows it. Mm-hmm. So the film, it's a bit arty, I would say, you know, because I'm bringing in all these elements of art, you know, trying to, uh, I use colour, I use the music and all these things to try to evoke the difference of what is reality and what is uh, kind of out-of-body experiences and her memories. So it's a lot of, different moods, but set, uh, made to be obvious by the colours, really. A lot of it is colours. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to use colours in it. And so, um, and the dance, and the dance gives that element of the reality in her, you know, what not, it's not reality, but it's her, her actual f- emotions, real emotions, which nobody sees. <clears throat> Because you know? sometimes you just can't vocalize it, right? But you can, I guess, emote it in that Correct. sense, right? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, emoting it, you know, and it's through dance that she emotes this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, a, it, it was almost a, 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 a piece that I just wanted to do because of, you know, being having been friends with her for so long. And, and also, I think it was 
It was nice to see how she actually really, she did come out of this. Okay. So that's why I want everyone to hopefully see this also gets inspiration to say, oh, there's hope for me too, mm -hmm. to, you know, to mm -hmm. find something new again or, you know, get out of this loneliness thing, you yeah. know. You're, that, you're not the only person who's going through this, right? This, yes, yeah, it's not yeah. just, it's not yeah, just there are others out there, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Mm. Let's just go for one last quick break, gentlemen. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the upcoming projects that you guys are working on, some of the books or so sure. that you're working on. I'm speaking today to Ho Yu Wang. He's a filmmaker and Gordon Lewis, and a producer and entrepreneur. We are talking about their careers as uh, filmmakers and they've made several uh, award-winning films and also Gordon has written some uh, award-winning books. So we're finding out more about that. We'll continue that discussion after one more quick break. Keep it right here on Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Gordon Lewis, a producer and an entrepreneur, and Ho Yu Wang, a filmmaker. Together, they are part of Lewis and Ho Productions. Uh, they've made several award-winning films together, God, uh, based also on Gordon's best-selling books. Uh, and we're finding out more about their careers, I suppose, as filmmakers and producers. But of course, that wasn't the first thing that you did, isn't it, Gordon? I mean, you, you did many, many other things before. Yeah, I mean... And I've done a lot. Uh, I've had a good run. I'm still having a good run. Yeah, I would say that. Luck plays a part. Irish luck, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I left school, I was really into music. Everybody was into music. It was a different time. When I listen to your radio station, I hear songs. And some of the songs I've worked on in the sense that I've made music films for. Mm -hmm. So it's quite memorable because your, your station has a certain style of music which you program. And uh, I, I've, I knew at a very early age I was useless at so many things. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so by the time I left school, I somehow engineered a scenario which happened and I made it happen. So there's the passion. So I got myself into a scenario where I got into the world of television. And I never looked back from that moment. And I specialized in music. So I ended up working with lots of very, very big names. And then off the back of that, you, you know, you end up setting up your own company and it all happened very fast. Okay. And, but this is also these experiences are coming to form your next book. Am I correct? Yeah, correct. So I've got a book out uh, called Soho Hustle. And it's based sort of in the past. So think of your radio station and the artists and, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, it's, it's done in a certain way. And it's the 80s. It's really, the 80s, it? the golden age, they called it. And it's about a Jewish guy. A lot of people think I'm Jewish, but I'm not actually. Uh, but the fact is, I, I, a lot of Jewish people worked in the world of entertainment. Small percentage of people are Jewish, mm. but somehow they've got a hold on the, the, the world of entertainment and films. And I, I came up with this name, Cyril Gold, and I tell the stories, and they really are real stories. There's only one or two things I changed around. I couldn't put the real names in of who these people were. <laughs> I'd get sued. I would get sued by everybody and everybody. Oh but they really are stories, so I can explain it in every sense of the word about how Cyril... This guy called Cyril Gold gets himself in this terrible situation, but he wants to follow in these late footsteps of his... Uh, uncle Brian Epstein of the Beatles. Oh. Actually, there's a film coming out about Brian Epstein very soon. Okay. Uh, it's called The Midas Touch. And I, I didn't know that, but it just so happens somebody got in touch with me because of what we do. And he told me and he was very intrigued by Soul Hustle. And um, 
just to give you a sense of what Cyril's about, he enters the world of entertainment, but he does yeah. it in a different way. He goes into Soho, London, which has got lots of sex workers, and he puts his office together, which is really a room, and the artists start to appear looking for a record deal, and there's Cyril on the top floor, and I tell real stories of what happened, because that's what happened. And... Uh, Anyway, I got a very big offer. This is luck. Talk about Irish luck. I got a very big <laughs> offer by, big, by a big film company when they heard about the book, a bit like Secret Child, exactly the same thing. You and things, I'm, I'm so lucky. <laughs> and I was so disappointed because when I saw the script based on the book, I hated it in the sense of the style and what they wanted to do. And, and they, they watered down the whole concept of what Soho Hustle was about. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I'm not doing this. I said, no, I can't do this. And the lawyers were really taken back by my, you know. Rejection, basically. Yeah, I was yeah. rejected. And then Ewan, Ewan came to the rescue. He came, he said, I've got an idea. You can't finish that book like that. Do a second book. So I've just finished here in Malaysia. The second book, which will come out later this year, Soul, Soul Hustle, Hustle USA. USA. <laughs> and we moved the storyline to America. Yeah. He's going to conquer America. Lots of real people, like Freddie Mercury's in it, David Bowie. They're all real people. They're in the book, just like the first book. <laughs> and I name drop like there's no tomorrow because I have worked with them. I know their mentality. I know what they're about, they're about and their egos. So that's yeah. what Soul Hustle is all about. Yeah. So if you want a fun it's, read... Yeah. Read Soul Hustle. And it's, it's almost like a biography, but it's not. Uh, but he kind of changed it into a fiction, obviously. Uh, but okay. the stories, you know, are things that he has actually experienced. experienced. Yeah. So it's, it's a fun, fun uh, read. It's a fun read. <laughs> so Ewan finally came up and he said, look, I like what you're doing with the second one, but you've got to do one more. Oh, no, I've got to kill him off. <laughs> so anyway, the last and final book, which will be written later in the year, will be how we're going to kill off Cyril, Cyril Gold. Oh, but dude. it will be great. It will have moved him oh, on you again. Can't well, okay, you can't tell. Okay, don't tell me. Okay, don't tell me. But I anyway, hope it's, it's a death that's befitting yeah, someone. There'll be three books. There'll okay. be three books. And that will then be somewhere. It'll be a trilogy. Yeah. It'll be a trilogy. And then it'll, it'll end up being on TV and you'll watch it one day and say, <laughs> oh, I, I remember hearing that story on radio or something. Lovely. Okay, okay. But of course we can get the books on um, anywhere, right? Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, you yeah. get the books on Amazon. And uh, if you go, if you look on secretchild.com, mm -hmm. That's the good Everything's thing. there. Okay. The films, books, and if you want to speak to us. Actually, there is one thing we want to ask your listeners. Mm -hmm. We are on a new mission. Ewan's Malaysian. And Ewan said to me, I want to do something which is Malaysian. I want to go back in the past. Or So we're going to reach out to your listeners. Because listeners, you, they don't realize it, but they sometimes have ideas. And we want to hear from your listeners about a subject, a person. Ewan, how would you elaborate on this? Because this going to be a Malaysian project. Well, yeah, I would like to, you know, after all these uh, other films that are really nothing to do with Malaysia. I, as a Malaysian, coming back this time, I don't know why, but I kind of struck a chord. Maybe it's after watching Abang Adik, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, hmm, maybe I should do something, you know, a, a Malaysian story, something that will maybe bring some awareness to a certain, I don't know, community or certain person. Uh, it could be anything. I mean, I'm really, really, I haven't got anything specific in mind. And I'd be very interested to hear from anyone, you know, who has an idea that would be, interesting for us to maybe do a film on. Um, if anyone out there has got a script already written, even better. 
you know, let's uh, let's uh, give talk. us a shout, send something to us, and uh, we can talk about it. And let's see, you know, see where we can go with it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's all about collaboration, you know. And and I think not having been here in Malaysia, I I think I might not have as good a perspective of everything. You know, I have not lived here for quite a while and I think it would be interesting to hear somebody who's much more local you know who who's had the feel of Malaysia over the last 50 years and maybe there's a story they want to tell yeah and a bit of Irish luck there from Gordon as well. Yes, we could have <laughs> huge deals coming that way. Who oh. knows, right? Um, but any other projects, uh, current projects, film projects, anything that you're very excited about or something in there, the pipeline? There is one more. Um, right now, <clears throat> I talked earlier about how I lived as a boy in the only place possible, mm-hmm. care of a man called Frank Duff. Incredible man. Nobody will really know who Frank Duff is mm. unless you Google him up. This famous Irish guy, he really is quite unusual. And we're looking, we just had a script written by an Irish writer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's amazing the way things happen. So when those listeners are listening to what this conversation is about, they'll realise things just sometimes just happen. So we're right now looking to make maybe a film if all goes to plan. We've collaborated with another very well-known producer who's doing the Brian Epstein uh, feature film. And uh, so yeah. this just, is something... Just to kind of put the, uh, you know, at least let the, the audience or listeners know that what who Frank Duff in a very short kind sure. of little summary of him. I mean, he was a lay person who decided to basically be charitable all his life he's learned to be very charitable from his mother actually and then as he grew older he did more and more charity work and but he did it in a his own way in a funny way he's a very clever man but he even though he is pious he wasn't he never used religion as a reason to be charitable mm. uh, and, and he just did it because he he is. He's just, his nature, I would say, was so charitable. Um, he would help anyone who came to him and asked for his help. He wouldn't care if that person wasn't of his re- same religion or not, mm-hmm. or his same, you know, race or whatever, but he would just help them. And uh, Frank Dove was um, actually given the Medal of Honor by the, by the Pope. Mm-hmm. He was actually... You know, now they're trying to ordain him as a saint. So, you know, he's a great man uh, and was also given a state funeral in Ireland. So just to show he did a lot for the Irish people, you know, so so he was a great man. It's just that, unfortunately, a kind of... You know, people have forgotten him (coughs) because, you know, through time and a lot, you know, in, in like all societies... People forget great people. And I think that's why this film Gordon wanted to do about Frank is to bring this man forward again and to remind people, you know, great, great people can do great things. Yeah. You know? I, I would go one step further. He's a forgotten Irish hero. Mm-hmm. He, did, he was way ahead of his time. He put together hostels, one for men, <coughs> single men, who were homeless. Nobody had ever done this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Mostly also, men who returned from the war. From the war. And yeah. suffered a lot of uh, mental problems. Issues. Because, PTSD. you know, through the war, as we know now, yeah. people suffer. You know, when they go to war and when they return, they have mental 
problems if you if you don't kind of give them support. So a lot of them ended up in these homes where they 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 did feel you know they end up being drunks. They didn't have any. They couldn't uh, hold down a job. Um, they had problems. But Frank knew and understood these problems. Mm. He had that. He was a very intelligent guy. So he put a hostel together for the men. He put a hostel together for the single mothers, the one hostel, which is where I grew up. So I know what this man's about. And finally, he put a hostel together. When he closed down um, in Ireland, it had the biggest, the biggest red light district mm-hmm. in Europe was in Dublin. Can you believe that? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and he persuaded the sex workers to close, to give up their jobs. And he said, we need to, we need to house these people. Mm-hmm. And the church, the Catholic Church, was, they weren't very keen on what he got up to. But the fact was, he was a man who was doing very positive things. And he's, you know, he's a forgotten Irish hero. That's why we want to make this feature film. Okay, so it's going to be a feature film. We, do we roughly know when it might? Uh, oh, I mean, it's early stages. Yeah. We just, we just, got, we we just got, got the, the script. film script. We yeah. just got the film okay. script. So right. it's a jigsaw. We're, we're putting the elements together as, okay. we're t- as we talk right now. Okay, mm. well, looking forward to that. Gentlemen, you know, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing. Um, and of course, you know, to listeners, again, get in touch, right? If they've got any yes, ideas, any please. stories, or if they just want to, you know, find out more about the work that you're doing. And the best way to do that, of course, is to head to secretchild.com. Am I right? Right? Yes. Okay. Perfect, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, any last message maybe that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we conclude? Love and peace <laughs> and happiness for this year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I was speaking to Ho Yuang and Gordon Lewis. Uh, Ho uh, Yuang is a filmmaker, Gordon a producer and entrepreneur. We were talking about their work together. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash learn. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.